Hello, it's Frank Hortensio, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And welcome to yet another edition of Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current Royals players during the baseball season and all your favorite former Royals players during the offseason. As here we are in October of 2016, it's Davo, glad you are along. To be exact, today is Tuesday, October 11th, 2016. The season just ended for the Royals about a week ago, and we're getting back into our off-season interviews with a guy that I've been trying to get a hold of for many, many years. And a big shout-out to Mike Jones, former Royals pitcher and part of that 85 World Series team, for helping to make this happen. He located Frank Ortenzio for me. A big old slugger from back in the day was Frank Ortenzio, played for the Royals in KC during the 1973 season. It was drafted by KC in 1969 and spent, what, seven years in the Royals organization. A guy who had some very unfortunate luck with injuries that we'll talk about, but you know, a, a guy that many thought would potentially win Rookie of the Year. We had the Sporting News predicting that. One thing I didn't realize was he was originally supposed to be the DH in KC opening day 1973. The Royals had gotten Hal McCray that winter, and Frank got hurt, and Hal went on to become the DH, and the rest is history there. But Frank did make it up to the big leagues for nine games in 1973, and it's fun to go back and look at his AAA numbers, some of the home run numbers and OPS numbers he put up. 181 career minor league home runs for Frank. 369, 494, and 863 for his career, slash wise, at the minor league level. Finished his career from 1979 to 1980 in Japan. A fascinating guy. Frank Ortenzio joins us on Clubhouse Conversation, and he lives out nowadays in a place where I used to live, Jacksonville, Florida, as do former Royals like Mike Jones, like I mentioned there. Desi Relaford now calls Jacksonville home. Billy Butler from Jacksonville, and Frank is now living out there, so I'm excited to talk to him a little bit about Jax as well, my old stomping grounds. I did radio in Jacksonville before moving to KC to do radio. But Frank joins us now, and just a few days after Hurricane Matthew went through Jacksonville as well, I guess my first question, Frank, is uh, you know, how are things going down there, and did you escape the, the hurricane okay without any damage? Yeah, um, we had to evacuate the beaches. I actually live at Jack's Beach, and uh, quite a bit of difference uh, from there to Jacksonville because of the intercoastal and the bridges. But uh, the evacuation notice was uh, because the, the storm was a Category 4 hurricane and probably the biggest one that it's hit since uh, we've been here the 19 years I've lived here. So um, it was a pretty scary event, but uh, we got out and came back, and the damage was very, very minimal, uh, no damage to our house. Uh, thank God, and uh, so everything worked out well. Yeah, it's got to be one of those things where you're holding your breath till you make that, you know, turn the corner, and you're holding your breath, right, when you came back. Well, absolutely. You start seeing trees down, and you know, uh, houses damaged, and uh, you make that turn around the corner, and their house is still there, and it's <laughs> sigh of relief. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Where did you guys actually evacuate to? Well, we didn't go that far because, like I said, the intercoastal to Jacksonville is. Uh, it's only about 45 minutes to the other side of town, and uh, that was just enough to get us out of the 
the strong, strong winds and uh, whatnot. But uh, we, uh, it's a town called Orange Park on the other side of Jacksonville. Uh, you're probably familiar with it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we stayed over there in a hotel for Huckford Downs for three days and and uh, saw some pretty good stuff over there. So we figured the beach was getting hit even harder. Um but to our delight, like I said, everything was fine. So uh, that's that's what we did. So happy to hear that. And, uh, yeah, Orange Park, you mentioned, that's where Billy Butler's from, former Royals DH. Absolutely. So there you go. Yes. Dropping a little 904 knowledge here today. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> there you go. Th- so this is the first October, then, in three years that uh, we don't have Royals playoff baseball, which we're all kind of depressed about around KC. But you know, did, did you get the chance to watch much of the 2014-2015 playoffs and World Series, and were you pretty excited for the Royals? Uh, yeah, yes, I was. Uh, you know, I brought out a lot of memories, you know, pl- having played in that park the first year that it was in existence. And uh, uh, I do really relish uh, this time of the year. Um, to be honest with you, um, uh, baseball, I don't watch a whole lot during the year. I'll pick up games here and there that uh, that strike my fancy. But during the playoffs, I watch them all. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, in fact, I watched the Giants and the Cubs last night. Oh, man, you were up late. <laughs> yeah, I was up late. I'm <laughs> Quite the game. And then, uh, of course, I you know I was pretty surprised to see Cleveland actually go in and sweep Boston. That was a slight surprise to me as well. Well, we have a lot of that around here. We have uh, huge Red Sox fans around this area. Yep. Uh, have you know, migrated from the north. And then, uh, of course, I have a sister out in California. Um, her husband is from the New England area, and so they're big, big, big New England fans. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, all, all, the te- all the teams. So I'm sure she's uh, – I haven't talked to her, but I'm sure she's in mourning. Yeah, how, how can somebody, by the way – I mean, you're a former big uh, slugger. How can a slugger like David Ortiz, best year of his career, how can he walk away like that, right? It, just, it makes me so sad. Yeah, you know, it's – there's a time. Um, everybody's different. Um uh, I can remember Willie Mays way back when uh, he said that he was getting out of the game. The main reason was he was tired of living out of a suitcase and traveling. Yeah. And back when he made that comment, uh, me being raised in Fresno, California, and him in San Francisco, um, you know, following the Giants somewhat, I couldn't understand how somebody could make that comment when I love the game so much. And why would you want to walk away from something that you love and you were that good at? Um, but I think for David Ortiz, it was just that time for him in his own mind that, you know, he was time, time for him to get out. But he had a fantastic year. Yeah. Um, but um, there just comes a time, I think, when you get to the point where you've had enough. And, uh, you know, I, obviously he had. Yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of pitchers around the league excited about that decision. So. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so I want to come back and talk lots about the Royals, but let's circle back and go way back in the day to your high school days. You ready to go way back here? Absolutely. Let's do it. So Fresno, California. You mentioned it. Uh, San Joaquin, Joaquin, Joaquin. Is that how you say that? Memorial High School. San Joaquin. San Joaquin. So were you always in Fresno growing up your entire life? Then. Uh, yes, right up to the time that I uh, signed with the Royals and left. Okay, and then so you had a football scholarship to Stanford on the table before you signed with the Royals. So was baseball or football your favorite sport growing up, and which one do you feel like you were better at, like as a high school player? Uh, well, there's no – absolutely, I was a better football player. I was uh, I was recruited by several colleges uh, with full rights, but uh, 
uh, baseball was always my love. I used to, I used to, I, I, well, I still do. I tell people when they, when they want to talk about my career or, or, or my baseball days, I always say that, um, when I was out on the football field in high school playing football, um, I'd be out at a linebacker and I'd be thinking about baseball. Um, you know, not every, every down, but I, I but baseball was always first and foremost in the back of my mind. And, uh, you know, can't, couldn't wait for that time to roll around. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. And then the Royals took you really pretty relatively late then. 47th round of the 69 draft. Rosie Gilhausen uh, was the lead scout on that. So how did the Royals first discover you? And do you remember a specific point or a specific moment where they first saw you or you first talked to them before the draft? Well, absolutely. I was uh, actually I was being scouted by, um, by the Minnesota Twins, um, pretty heavily and they were talking to us uh my, like my sophomore year they can't only say so much but they were scout at all the games and uh i had had uh i had played against uh fresno state my sophomore year and i hit a couple home runs and uh that's all it took and usually that's all it does take when there's scouts in the stands and so the word spread the royals were interested and they were talking um high draft choice uh the minnesota was and then I hurt my shoulder in football, and uh, from my junior year to my senior year in baseball was was uh, a letdown. I think I hit like 476 my junior year, and then my power was down my senior year, and I think I only hit like 282, which for high school was was very low. So my draft status dropped dramatically. Oh, okay. So were you expecting to, to get drafted that year? And then where were you at when you got the news the Royals took you? Do you remember the exact moment and how you got that news? Absolutely. Positively. I was, I was, uh, we had just graduated and it was a supplement. I think, I believe it was supplementary, supplementary draft. I'm not sure, but I know that I, you know, the uh, Vietnam uh, lottery numbers had come out by birth dates and I was right there where, I was going to be, you know, going probably for sure, uh, enlisting or whatever. And a buddy of mine, uh, asked a couple of buddies, we went back to the school and it was summer. The school was closed. We hopped the fence and we were using the pool. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> in Fresno, it's pretty hot. So, you know, you want to take every chance you can. So we went in there and, uh, one of my buddies, come running around the corner and it found a paper laying out and we were in a Catholic school and there was papers delivered down by the rectory and he came running back and he goes, Frank, you got drafted. You got drafted. It's in the paper. And that's, that's how I found out. <laughs> really? So you found out like the, <laughs> like the next day? Uh, it was, it was in the paper that day. Yeah. Wow. So I got, I didn't even know it. I found out by the paper. <laughs> Talk about a, a, a difference in times, right? Right, I had talked. Rosie Gilhausen had spoke to me uh, a little bit, but uh, you know, um, I really wasn't. I was kind of expecting it and kind of not. You know, you don't want to get your hopes up too high. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I definitely wanted wanted to get drafted. That's great. And then, so I mean, was it not a difficult choice? Then I mean, you had the you know be linebacker at Stanford. You had the football offer. Was it a pretty slam dunk choice to sign with the Royals, or did you kind of think about that one for a while? Oh no! Um, like I said before, um, I had several, several um, offers, uh, uh, letters of intent from several schools uh, outside of California, also. 
But my first love was baseball. I wanted to uh, play baseball. That's all I wanted to do. In fact, the big joke on our high school team was, you know, if uh, Frank gets drafted, all you got to do is give him a bag of sunflower seeds and a and a coke, and he's he's going. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that line. So, okay, so there's a good question for you. You hear the ridiculous bonuses today. Do you remember how much your first contract or bonus was, and, and did you splurge in anything with that first payday? Absolutely, I splurged, and it, to me, it was big big money. Um, I was it was uh, thirteen thousand dollars. Okay, was my signing bonus and college. Oh, okay. oh, that's cool. So, yeah. So, um, and back then, you know, growing up in a relatively, uh, you know, uh, not impoverished, but, uh, you know, uh, not a high life lifestyle at all. Um, it was pretty big money. And, uh, you know, I went out and bought a brand new, uh, Dodge Charger, 1969 Dodge Charger with a 440 Magnum in it for $3,300. Wow. <laughs> so, so actually, 13000 so is not bad for that for that slot, right? I'm sure you got more than most guys in that round, I would think, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it wasn't bad. So, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it was a no-brainer. I wanted to play. I wanted to play, first and foremost, I love the game, and I just wanted to play baseball. I mean, that's all I ever did with my time when I was growing up, so... That's what I wanted to do. Man, there was a there was a time in the mid two thousands, like around two thousand five, two thousand six, when the Royals actually gave out like eight thousand dollars signing bonuses to fifth round guys that were called seniors. So you you did better even with inflation thirty years before that, which is kind of both sad and funny at the same time, right? Well, I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is sad and funny. <laughs> yeah, there were some stretches where they were kind of cheaper there in the mid two thousands. So anyway, but uh, yeah, yeah. So wow. you, you, so you started then in sixty nine between the rookie Royals and Corn in the New York Penn League. So I don't think I've ever Correct. actually entered any, you know, talked to anybody that was in that corning. They didn't have them very long, I know. And you were actually the only guy on that team that went to the show later on. But, uh, you know, what was the town of Corning and that ballpark like? And then what do you remember most about playing there? Um, the biggest thing that we, you know, this is this is kind of bad, but the biggest thing about Corning, because we had a third, I believe we had like between a 33, 35-man roster uh, for rookie league. Mm-hmm. They expanded it, you know, where most uh, teams have 25-man roster, uh, big league and down through the uh, minors. But uh, for the uh, for the rookie leagues, you had a few more players. So we had about 33 and about, I, I would say, 27, 28 were from California. And the drinking age in California was 21. In New York, it was 18. <laughs> so this was a big <laughs> – so this was a big deal. And the Corning had the Corning Glassware Factory. And the other thing it had was uh, bars. Yeah. So there wasn't uh, there wasn't a whole lot, uh, uh, you know, to, to to do around there. And uh, down the road was Elmira, which was later. Uh, I don't know if it was then or later the uh, Royals Double A yep. affiliate. Um, so we had uh, there was not a whole lot around the towns that we traveled to to play in. In uh, Pennsylvania and New York were all small towns, so it it was an experience, but. Uh, Corning was a, it was a quaint little town, and uh, it had like one of those little Woolworths where you sit in the counter and you can, uh, you know, get a soda or whatever. Yeah. So it was kind of like a Mayberry type thing. Old school. I love that. Um, yeah. And then 1970, so you go completely across the country then as a 19 year old, Billings, Montana, where you had an OPS of 971, which is pretty ridiculous. 10 home runs in 227 at bats. So playing in Billings, and what do you remember, you know, memories of that? Um, Billings was kind of my, 
was kind of the turnaround. Um, even though it was early in my career, you know, I had been uh, basically saved that spring. Um, I was actually on the uh, on the uh, release sheet, and um, uh, I believe it was um, John Scherholz, uh Bob Lemon, and it might have been Lou Gorman too. There was three officials walking down in between the cages there in Daytona Beach where our first minor league camp was at, and they happened to turn to one of the fields. There was four games going on, and Steve Boros was uh, coaching third base and flashed a hit and run, and I was struggling. I wasn't hitting very well, and, uh, you know, that first year in Corning, they didn't play a whole lot, and I happened to catch a fastball and hit it uh, a long, long, long way for a home run, and that saved me because I was on uh, actually down to get released the next day. And we had we had close to I don't want to exaggerate, but we had close to about 300 players in that first camp, and there was only room for about I think our minor league system we had uh, six or seven towns, so you do the math, it's 25 in each one, you know, so that's not very many players, and so a lot had to be cut. So hitting that home run kind of saved me. Then I went to Billings, and things just started turning around after that, and I started hitting. I widened my stance out a little bit on my own, and uh, I started seeing the ball, and and, uh, that's kind of where I started going. And it was, um, um, you know, the ball looked like it was bigger, and (laughs) it just went from there. So how did you find out that you were on the release list then? Is that something they they told you or you found out later? I found this out about seven or eight years later. Wow. I had no idea. I had no idea. And they were just, you know, they were, it was like guys were dropping like flies. Yeah. <laughs> and we had, we were standing in the Holiday Inn with uh, four or five guys in, on, in every room on cots. And it was right across from the D- Daytona 500 Speedway. And then Al Summers uh, Umpire Baseball School where they trade the umpires were there. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was quite the ordeal for someone that just, came out of California and didn't really never been away from home. And, uh, and, uh, I was, uh, sure that I was going to go cause I wasn't hitting real well, but that one swing. And then of course went to Billings and Billings, I just continued. Um, so, um, yeah, that's what happened. That's amazing to think about because I had a moment like that in my career. My first boss on radio was like, yeah, I was going to have to let you go one day. And then I heard your tape, and there was one thing I heard, and I was like, okay, I can work with this. And I didn't find this out until like last year, so I'm with you. And it's like scary to think about the what-ifs, right? Like what if that guy would have walked you or thrown you a different pitch, right? You might not have ever you know, made it. Isn't that weird? Absol- well, absolutely. <laughs> if I wouldn't have got the hit and run or whatever, you know. <laughs> so, all- thanks, Steve Boros. For- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have all kinds of those things in our lives, though. Yeah, you're true. You're right. You you're look right. back. You're right. Yeah. Um, so at Billings, you played with a young 18-year-old Al Cowens that summer, his first year in pro ball. Could you see that potential even back then? Um, Al was an amazing guy. Uh, we used to call him, uh, he had two nicknames, Ace and Pipe. Huh. And uh, he had, uh, the pipe was from his arm. He had just, uh, his arm was not only strong, but it was it was phenomenally accurate. And, uh I actually roomed with Al two different years that we played together uh, on the road. And um, real quiet guy, but uh, very, very good ball player. And you could see it right from the start. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then so so yeah. 1971 is the next year San Jose in the California League and you really put yourself on the radar then. So league leading and uh, the franchise record at that time for the Royals, you hit 32 home runs, 103 RBIs, 971 on the OPS. You know, I'm sure good memories of San Jose, right? Yeah, San Jose was uh, uh like I said I widened my stance out in Billings the year before. And I kind of stuck with that, and I was just picking up that front left foot and then putting it back down, and it was keeping my head still. I think uh, I attributed a lot to that. But the California League that year we had um, just, I mean, I could name name after name after name and went to the big leagues and had, you know, a lot of good success. Um, but that year we had we had a pretty good ball club. Uh, Buddy Peterson was my manager who had managed me in Corning the first year. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the California League, I just, uh, I, 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 mean, I can remember it. I was actually not starting. We had a, a kid named A.C. Mosley, who was the first baseman. And A.C. was uh, the starting first baseman, and he got off to a slow start, and I got put in first base. And uh, I was, uh, I, I can't remember the exact uh, numbers, but I, I got off to a really slow start for the first couple weeks, and then I just caught fire, and it was, it was like I was in a zone. I borrowed one of Jim Wolford's bats, yeah, uh, actually, and Jimmy's uh, was using an R43 at the time, which a lot of the ball players out there will will know what that is. And uh, um, it's just started clicking, and it's one of those things they call it the zone. They call it, you know, whatever. And uh, you know, the ball looked big. I could pick up the break, and I, I was just I was in a zone, and everything came together at that point, and um, just. Uh, hit really well um i i really felt that i had the ability in my own mind but it was just finding finding that zone and, and i found it there and um yeah i just continued to hit well yeah I, i've actually got a, a stat line from a little stretch you had then so in, in a span of 10 games there at san jose you hit nine home runs and drove in 25 in 10 games <laughs> so do you remember that yeah. stretch a little bit i'm sure it's what you were talking about right <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it it was uh you know, it was just like you're you don't even I guess the best way for fans to under to get it that, that that don't play is that if you pick up a bat and you put it up over your shoulders, you can feel that bat, you know, or if you're doing any other sport, you know, that has you know like a bowling ball, whatever the sport might be, a football, catching it, throwing it. Well, in baseball, a hitter when you have that bat back there, and you're hot, and you're and you're in this zone, and you're hitting everything. If, if a pitcher makes a mistake, you're hitting it. Um, you can't feel the bat, or I couldn't anyway. Hmm. And the, the bat is like a feather. It's back. You know it's back there, but it's just like you don't even think about it. Now, on the other hand, when you're in a slump, and ooh, dreadful word, <laughs> but when you're in one of those, that bat feels like six thousand pounds. <laughs> it feels like you don't know where to put it. You know, it feels like it's coming through the zone, like it's a piece of iron, <laughs> and uh, so it's that's the that's the type of thing. And, and when and when I was in that zone for so, in fact, that bat that Jimmy Wolford gave me, I used that bat. I kept boning that bat, um, and I used it for a solid month. And usually, wooden bats, you know, um, you're going to break them. And one off the end, you're going to break it. If you get one off the handle, you're going to break it. You know, I mean, we used to start out with two dozen bats every year. And I got this bat from Jim, and it was like, it was chipping. The end was coming off. Um, 
you know, flaking, and I kept boning it and boning it and putting, you know, <laughs> sawdust in or whatever and trying to get it to keep, you know, until finally one game it finally flipped off and I had to go to another bat, and it was like, oh, no. <laughs> and baseball players are kind of superstitious, as you well know. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so it was like for three games I'm going, oh, no, no, no. And so, you know, um, I got another one from him and – you know, kept going. So that was, it, it was a it was a good streak. It, it felt good. Did you switch to that kind of bat the next year? Then his absolutely. Okay, I figured. <laughs> I, I went. I went. Yeah, I used the, the R forty three and the uh, the K fifty five, which was a mantle model uh, uh, most of my career. Okay. All right. Now you mentioned a name I was actually going to ask you about because I'd, I'd seen the you know at Corning and then I think Buddy Peterson might have played in the, in the big leagues a little bit for the White Sox maybe or something too. I saw he passed away like in '06. What was he like? Buddy Peterson was one of the most colorful people, um, just peep, uh, a person that I've ever met, uh, let alone a baseball manager. He was funny. Um, he was a. Uh, he was strict disciplinary when he had to be. Um, he was a good he was a good manager for younger players in that regard. Um, he uh, the thing I remember about Buddy is that the, the run he had he had this little choppy run. He took small steps and he pumped his fist like right in front of his chest. And uh, he could argue with a man he could argue with a manager. Uh, he's kind of, he kind of like Earl Weaver to bring up an, uh, a more familiar name. But he would argue kind of like Earl Weaver. I mean, he would kick dirt on home plate, get down, cover it up. And I think at one time he had the Calif- he set a record in the California League uh, when we were playing there. Um, I believe he got kicked out of six games in a row <laughs> when we were playing. <laughs> That's awesome. And we had a and just to give you a little side note on one of the funniest things, we were playing in Reno, and uh, early in the year Reno was still kind of cool, and we had a. So we had a uh, cool night in Reno, and it was uh, it was raining, kind of misting and the whole game. And John Waffen was catching, and uh, Buddy kept complaining to the umpires that this is dangerous for my players. And so John had had a play at the plate where I think he had got a minor injury because of the weather, and Peterson lost it. He went out and was arguing with his umpire, and they had those light blue shirts on, and it was raining, and you know, everybody was kind of wet, and Buddy used to chew this big chaw every game. I mean, it was like a Nelly Fox uh, chaw, and uh, he was out there arguing. We could see him. We're all, you know, laughing because he'd really get into it, shake his head, you know, the hands on the hips, and just back and forth, and all of a sudden, the umpire kicks him out of the game, and he comes running back to the dugout and just starts laughing, and we're all sitting there, and he's laughing, and he goes... I spit tobacco all over that bleepity bleepity shirt. He's got tobacco on his face on his shirt, <laughs> and that's the kind of guy he was. So he was he was a character. <laughs> that's great. I'm glad I asked about him. That's funny. Uh, okay, so how about the nickname Moose? When did you get that? And who and how did you get that? I got the nickname uh, my first year in pro ball in a Corning uh, near uh, Penley in Corning. Um, I was uh, started out. I was an outfielder. Uh, coming up uh, through Little League all the way up. And and I started out in left field in Corning, and there was a fly ball, and it was hit between left. It was in the left center field gap, and we had a cyclone fence for our outfield fence. And Tom Combs, who was a uh, uh, 
with the Royals for I think four or five years, um, center fielder. He was running, I was running for the ball, and the ball got him just in between us. And I hit. Uh, we had no warning track; we just had grass. And I hit the fence full blast, and I actually bent the top pole of the, of the fence um, and hit it and went down. And he comes running over, and he was kind of a he was a real funny guy. He looked down, he goes, "Man, you're a moose," and uh, that was it. And then we that just picked from there, and then everybody started calling me moose. And they still do, still do to this day. Oh, so you still hear that sometimes? That's funny. Oh, a lot, yeah. <laughs> Whatever happened to him? Did you stay in touch with him, the center fielder? You know, I've looked, I've looked for Tom. I couldn't find him. Um, I think he, I know he's from uh, the California area. He still may be out there. Yeah, well, maybe someday we'll help you get reunited. We love doing that here. Um, oh, I, yeah, I would love to. So who are some of the other guys, you know, we'll get to Jacksonville and Omaha in a second, but, you know, just your entire minor leagues of the Royals, Omaha, Jacksonville, counting everywhere, who were your, kind of your best friends, you know, guys that maybe they didn't make the big leagues, but guys that you played with that you were friends with? Um, uh, well, the number one guy was from Fresno. I played against him in high school, and we roomed together with the Royals uh, three different years, and that was uh, Dale Phillips. And uh, he was a uh, high draft choice that year in 69. We signed the same year out of, out of Fresno. Um, he was close, but uh, I actually lost contact with him. Um, Tom Combs was another one. Um, uh, Tommy Joyce, who was a second baseman. Um, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of them. Uh, Pickle Smith was another one. Um, you know, Al, of course, but, you know, uh, lost contact with him. Frank White, we've talked a couple times. Um, but other than that, we I haven't really – I've moved around so much and I have uh, did so many things that uh, my uh, travels and everything, I've been all over the place. Yeah. So I really – you know, and I'm, I'm not really into that uh, – I haven't been into the Facebook thing. My daughters have just gotten me into the Facebook thing, so oh, I'm good, starting good. to get, get, get into that more. <laughs> there you go. It'll, so, it'll change so your I, life. <laughs> I, I'm getting people, uh, you know, contacting me more and more. That's great. That's great. So 72 yeah. then, another great year, Double uh, A Jacksonville, Triple A Omaha, and then 73, uh, obviously a big year, Jacksonville, Omaha, and KC. So let's start with Jacksonville in 1973. Um, so you started off injured with a wrist injury uh, and didn't start playing until May 27th of that year. So when you came to the Suns, you probably don't know this, but they were 15-23 and 23 was their record when you got to Jacksonville. Once you came, they finished 63-41. and 41. The rest of the season, they won the division by seven and a half that year. So, playing in Jacksonville, in the, you know that summer. What do you remember most about playing for the Suns? Are uh, you talking about seventy three? Yeah, seventy three, or or either, both. It's fun. Well, um, the the, the uh, seventy two seventy three. I mean, the most the most I remember about Jacksonville is, you know, it's a beautiful park. They've changed it now. It's ironic that I'm back here now, but uh, their park is still a Double A park. By the Marlins own them, and they're. Um, uh, their park now could be a triple-A park easily, mm-hmm. high-class, triple-A mm-hmm. park. But uh, Wolfson back then was a beautiful park. I loved it. It was a good hitting backdrop. We had a big blue center field wall. Um, I loved uh, the town back then. We were the only game in town. Um, and uh, it, it was just a, it was, it was a great – I loved the, uh, the weather because it was, it was easy to get loose in, and I've always had a problem with my legs. But um, – 
Jacksonville was was uh, I think where I really started coming into my own the first year in '72. But Billy Gardner, our the manager that I had those two first two years, was probably one of the biggest influences in professional baseball as far as managers that I ever had. And he was uh, he was that uh, one of his favorite expressions was plain vanilla. And that's how he did everything. It was just, he didn't make anything hard or he didn't try to make it, you know, something that it wasn't. And so I can remember when we, when I came back um, after being called up uh, in 72 to Omaha, um, when I went up to Omaha, uh, Jack McKeon was up there. And I, uh, when I got to Omaha, it was about halfway through the season. I think it was just right at halfway through and I ended up leading the team in home runs in Omaha, and then he took me to um, uh, to Puerto Rico, and I made the All Star team over there, and then uh, we went back to Kansas City for the Royal Lancers banquet or whatever, mm-hmm. and they they announced that I would be uh, that, uh, and I little I didn't know it, but that I was going to be in the starting lineup next year, um, in uh, in Kansas City, uh, you know, opening day '73. I think we were playing the Angels. Really, Owen Ryan in Anaheim, yes. And uh, what what happened between that? The reason I I brought all that up was because when I went back from from winter ball to that to that banquet, McKeon told me he says they just showed it come up to spring training. It's only in two or three weeks, and you will be um, you you know don't worry about what you do. You're going to be with the team. You're, you know he basically told me that, and I went home and broke my wrist. Uh, in the following two weeks. And so that was a setback, and it kind of changed me as a hitter um, as far as being on top of the plate and away from the plate and all those little logistics. But anyway, I went back to um, when I – the Royal sent me to, to um, back to Jacksonville because it was a warmer climate. And um, I started hitting again, but I just was a, kind of a different hitter. But um, um, finished strong there and had a good time, but – Billy Gardner was the guy that really helped me through all that, and uh, um, he I owed a lot to him. He uh, he kind of straightened me out because uh, I thought I was – I had one of those uh, – when I got to put on the major league roster, <clears throat> I kind of got a big head, and I thought I was uh, something special. And he pulled me in the office one day because I threw a bat during spring training, and he said uh, – he said, "You keep throwing bats like that." He says, "You won't be you won't be playing not only Triple A. He says you'll be back in San Jose." And so, <laughs> after he said that and a few other things, I he kind of straightened me out. So it was those are some of my fondest uh, times uh, playing for the Suns. Yeah. Well, what happened? How did you break the wrist? Do you remember? Yeah, I remember exactly, and I'm going to tell you the truth because this there's been a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of things that were not coming came out that was the truth, but I. Uh, I had about uh, it was about a week ago. I had my plane tickets to fly to uh, Fort Myers for spring training, and um, uh, I had a buddy come over. Doorbell rings, and he goes, "Let's go back over to the old high school because being a Catholic high school, we had a rectory and they had a really nice uh, basketball gym. He used to play some basketball. Long story short, went over and played some basketball and broke my wrist. Ugh. And yeah, a week before to go. So that's." Uh, that's basically when uh, when I broke my wrist, I went, they went, they, uh, you know, casted it up in California, and then when it was ready to come off, the Royals flew me to Kansas City and put me through therapy, and uh, I watched opening day from a hotel room. <laughs> uh, 
the new part. But yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that was that was uh, that's basically in a nutshell what happened, and that's when they went out and got uh, Hal McRae. Okay. Wow. They did that. So yeah. Wow! Wow! And a yeah. Hall of Famer for yeah. the Royals. Wow! What a wow! That's interesting. Um, yeah. So you know, Jacksonville. Where did you stay at when you played there? Where, where did the, I've always wondered where did the guys actually stay at downtown there in apartments somewhere or what? In Jacksonville. Yeah, when you guys played there, was there a place? Well, we when we played here, the Matthews, the Matthews. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the city of bridges, and the Matthews Bridge. We stayed right on the banks. There was a brand new. Um, uh, apartment complex and about half the team stayed there and then there was another one on the other side of Arlington Expressway uh close to downtown where uh, the other half stayed. Okay. So right in uh, the area. So yeah, it wasn't too far it wasn't too far from downtown. It just it was just right over the Matthews. So So you uh, ending up in Jacksonville now is is coincidental had nothing to do with you playing there. You didn't like move there right afterwards or anything. No, 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 no. I uh no. I I moved here about um 18 years ago. Okay. Um, 18 and a half years ago, uh, my mom was was living here actually um, because she is from the East Coast and she was sick. And then I have a sister that's handicapped that was living with her. And with her having an illness, I had to make a decision. So I, I moved out here. Okay. Well, that's cool. From Washington State. Okay. Um, so after Jacksonville, then uh, seventy three of them are still. So we're back to seventy three now. Triple A Omaha. You played with a very young George Brett. What do you remember about number five at Triple A? Um, actually, with George, you know, I was I was uh, around George um, earlier in spring training in the minor leagues and stuff like that. And um, George was uh, um, a great guy. You know, I mean, just a normal, down-to-earth guy. You know, California boy, like a lot of us were. Um, he, he was down more down by the LA area, but uh, he was he was a great guy, nice guy, uh, baseball-wise. Um, you know, and nothing. I'm not going to. You know, I'm not saying anything bad about George. He's you know, obviously Hall of Famer, great player. But uh, in the minors, pretty much um, average hitter. Um, you know, good a good hitter. You know, good good ball player, but uh, I think once Charlie Lau got a hold of him, uh, things char- changed a, a whole lot. Yeah, and uh, he changed he changed his hitting approach and his stance dramatically with Charlie. And uh, I'm sure George would agree that's what uh, turned him around. Yeah, for sure. And then, so your call to the big leagues then, September 9th, 1973. So take us back to the moment you got that call to the show. Were you were you expecting it? Then where were you at? And uh, you know, how'd you find out? Um, that's when I was. Uh, that's when I came off the broken wrist. Where I, uh, that's the year I was supposed to start there, and uh, got sent to Jacksonville. And then I got called up from Jacksonville. And yeah, I was expecting it. I, I believe it was. Uh, Myself, uh, Tom Poquette, um, who, uh, I can't remember the other, there was about five of us, but, um, uh, it was, it was quite the thing. I drove my car up and I can remember driving up the freeway and, and seeing, uh, uh, Kauffman Stadium pop up and the crown pop up as I'm driving up. And, uh, it was just like, uh, a lifelong dream. I mean, this is something that I, knew that I wanted to do when I was like eight years old and uh it was it was a dream come true it was it was unbelievable I didn't get a lot of time but uh it was sure worth it oh so <laughs> you that short time so you were actually in Jacksonville when that happened then yes oh yes. okay okay 
Okay, I thought it was yep. Omaha. That makes sense. No, it was it was Jacksonville because um, um, when I broke my wrist, I, they sent me to Omaha, and it was uh, I was having a real hard time with a rehab sore, and so they said they'll send you back to Jacksonville where Gardner's at. And, okay, and they helped me out, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's where I that's where I went from. I actually drove from Jacksonville to KC. Well, I, I, I made that exact drive when I moved here about nine years ago. <laughs> so, and I know the exact drive through Atlanta and Tennessee and Kentucky and St. Louis. Yep, done that, done that there drive. You, that's uh, it. Yeah. So, okay, so the first time you walked into a big league clubhouse, what do you remember about that? And then who were some of your teammates in NKC that kind of took you under their wing? Well, um, I can, you know, I remember the guys, you know, there was uh, there was a few guys that were really great. And I remember uh, Patton was a real funny funny guy. I don't know if you remember him or not. Yeah, Marty. Yeah. Pitcher. Marty was a great guy. Marty uh, was really friends. Um, um, there was uh, Fitzpatrick. Uh-huh. Uh, I can remember him taking me out on the road one time in Chicago. Um, Killebrew was up there at the time. Mm-hmm. His locker was next to mine. So wow. that was kind of a thrill. That was kind of a thrill. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew I, I had known from spring training cause I had been in, you know, three or four camps, um, when I got put on the roster in Fort Myers. So I, I knew Potak and, you know, Otis and Shaw and all those guys. Um, but, um, uh, I remember Lindy McDaniel, yeah. really a nice guy. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, they're all great guys, but you know, there's a few of them that, uh, you know, I can remember I got my first big league hit in Chicago in Comiskey Park, mm-hmm. and uh, we were on the of course on the road Comiskey Park, and Marty uh, Patton had got you know you get to you get your first big league ball uh, hit and they get you the ball and they throw it out so they throw it out and so I come to my locker after the game and there's a ball sitting in my locker and the and the uh, clubhouse boy had had a spread for the team and it was a uh, rigatoni's with uh, rigatoni sauce and French bread. And my ball was sitting in my locker with rigatonis on top of it with sauce <laughs> with a sign, nice hit. <laughs> and so, of course, my mouth dropped open. I'm going, oh, no. But they had, you know, switched the ball. But they had, they had my other. But that was Patton. That's so, funny. That's yeah, there's there, but there was a there was a lot of great guys. Yeah, you mentioned a couple names there. Fitzpatrick, obviously, we lost him way too young. And you mentioned uh, I actually talked to uh, Lenny McDaniel not too long ago. So, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's down in uh, in Oklahoma. And you mentioned uh, Killebrew, and I, I ran across a, a quote. You probably saw this quote, but did you ever see when uh, Lou Gorman said you have Killebrew esque power? And he was talking about you. Oh yes, yes. Okay. I had seen that quote, and I'm like, "Oh, that's cool." Um, yeah, that was there was a big article in the Sporting News. Oh, really? Yeah, clipping. Yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So the first hit. So first of all, you you got to KC. The first the first game in the big leagues was a doubleheader, I believe, against uh, the Angels. Right? You you hit cleanup between Amos and Lou Pinella, and you went 0 for two with a couple of strikeouts that day. And then John Mayberry came in. Did you get hurt that day, or did they just take you out early in that first game? Um, with the first game, what happened was I think Tanana was pitching. Yeah, he was. Yep. And uh, I want to say it was my first at bat in the big leagues, and I think it was my first at bat. Um, and uh, Tanana and I had signed the first uh, '69, the same year. Um, 
and he uh, he threw me three fastballs, and he you know he's bringing it back. He was throwing about ninety eight, ninety nine. Uh, he could really throw, but uh, I was so I, I could swear everybody in the stands were could see you know my knee shaking because I was so nervous. <laughs> but I could I could remember they were flashing when I was walking to the plate. Everybody was going moose, and so my nickname had caught on already. You know, in Kansas City, and I hadn't even been up to the plate yet. So I got up to the plate, and he threw me three fastballs, and they were all at least chin high or higher. And I swung at every one of them and struck <laughs> out. And I came back, and everybody was rolling on the bench and waving the towels. And I can't remember which player, but he says, hey, next time, let it unbutton your shirt and let it go, because I guess I swung so, so hard. <laughs> and so then uh, my next time up, uh, you know, I said, okay, Frank, you know, settle down. you got to get this guy to get the ball down. Because you're you're basically a low ball hitter anyway. So the next two pitches, my next time up, were letter high fastballs, and I took them, and I was two and zero. Oh. And then he threw me the two and one pitch. He threw it down about thigh high, and I hit it. I thought it was a fair ball, but I hit it out, and it was way over the top of the back, uh, right over the flagpole. And as a hitter, you can kind of tell, but I, I thought it was fair. They called it foul, and so the manager at the time, Bobby Winkles for the Angels. I can't believe I'm remembering this stuff. I can't remember what I ate yesterday. But anyway, <laughs> Bobby Winkles comes out and he goes, he goes out and he pulls Tanana with a two on one count. And so McKean came out and pulled me and put oh. Mayberry in with the two. And, so that's what happened there. So the second at bat, you got charged with the strikeout, but technically you didn't finish that at bat then. Right. Okay, that makes sense because it does carry over. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so you mentioned it then. So three games after that, you didn't you you pinch hit three straight games, and then the twenty fifth you mentioned it at Comiskey when you got your first hit. You were two for five that day with a walk and an RBI. I'm assuming you'll get this trivia question: Who was your first hit against? Uh, Terry Forster. Got it. Yep. Yep. And then uh, so another another one for you: September 29th at Texas, your first big league home run. Who was that off of? Durham. Yep. Straightaway center, right? Broken bat. What? Oh yeah, I was using. I, I borrowed John. I borrowed, I borrowed John's bat, and uh, Texas had a big write-up in the paper the next day because um, it was Busby's twentieth win um, uh, in that game. I got the game-winning hit, but I hit uh, I hit the home run, and the bat was flaking uh, on the top, and it was almost coming off. You know, a piece of about maybe about mm, probably about six inches, four to six inches long. Uh, maybe about two inches wide, but it was starting to flake. But I was hitting good with it, so I, you know, um, kind of boned it. And when I hit the ball, the piece of bat flipped out toward the pitcher, and it went dead center. And it went, it went over. I can't believe it went over the fence, but it did. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of a write up in the paper the next day. <laughs> that's great. So for my only big, my only big league home run, I, I hit, I broke my bat. So I, you know, that's kind of a. <laughs> Did, did you? I, I can really, I can turn that into a really good fish story. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was six. Then it went to like oh five feet. And, no, but anyway, <laughs> Give me um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was it was uh, it was quite the thrill. I don't. Even, I do. I do not remember hitting the bases, going around on the, on the home run. Uh, it was it was kind of exciting. So did you uh, did you get the ball from that or the the bat? Did you keep the bat from that or nothing from that one? I didn't keep the bat, but I did get the ball. Oh, you did? Okay, good. 
and it's somewhere around. I, I don't have any any of the trophies or anything out, but it's somewhere. It's packed away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the last game of that season, then September thirtieth at Texas, and you started that one as well. You went one for four that day. So I mean, at that point, you got to be feeling good. It's been a good year for you. You're hopefully feeling healthy again. If someone would have told you that day that you would never be in the big leagues again, what would you have thought? I would have said, "No, you're nuts." Right, right. I, I was I was expecting to uh, start. To be a starter the next year, I really was. Um, I think my injury uh, it changed me as a hitter a little bit. I could still hit, but uh, I think there was, uh, and this is just speculation on my part, but I think the Royals got uh, got down on me a little bit, um, especially management uh, McKeon. But um, nothing bad about Jack, but it just it just seemed that way because um, the amount of bats that I did receive at the end of the year um i think the other guys were getting a little bit more playing time yeah. uh Poquette and all the other guys but um anyway um yeah i i, I really thought i would have if somebody would have said that i would have said no no you're wrong you know I'm, I'm gonna have a long career and whatever and i was fully expecting that and so uh it was kind of a shock because the, the next spring i i hardly even got any time in exhibition games so it, it was kind of a kind of went down kind of went down from there, um, but yeah, that's that's I would have I would have told someone they were nuts. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you mentioned '74 being tough, and then so you started back in Omaha, and then you got a severely sprained right ankle when you scored a run, I think, from stepping on a bat. From so you missed a month from like July 27th to August 26th. Was that '74 year just really tough overall? Yeah, it was it was a tough year, and I thank you for bringing up that. Uh, bad that was really bad <laughs> <laughs> listen i would not this was probably one of the most embarrassing painful injuries i've ever had because i was scoring from third base on a uh, base hit so obviously if you're on third and it's a base hit to the outfield you just trot home and i can't remember my teammate but the ball the bat was right on the chalk line and i looked back to see where the ball was going right before I was crossing the plate, and my spikes caught the barrel of the bat. You know, like you step on somebody's foot in basketball, mm-hmm. and you come down wrong, and it just, yeah, just really bad, bad injury. That, uh, so, yeah, that was kind of a... <laughs> yeah. It was embarrassing. It was more embarrassing going around in the dirt, you know, and... <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. You can thank yeah. the good old 1975 Royals media guide for that tidbit. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I had a lot. Yeah, I had a, actually had a, uh, there was a headlines in Sporting News, uh, Ortensio snake bit, uh, Royals Ortensio snake bit. Um, so, yeah, it was it was uh, one little minor thing after another, it seemed like. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I lived in Jacksonville, like we talked about, but I also grew up, uh, you know, becoming a Royals fan, grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is like an hour from Rosenblatt. So, you know, right. interested to hear your thoughts then. So you also spent 75 and 76 at Omaha. You know, what was it like playing at Rosenblatt Stadium? Uh, you know, I'm sure those weren't probably your best memories in baseball, being at where you were, but anything good memory-wise from Omaha and, and playing at Rosenblatt? Um, well, I didn't like the twister that we went through. Oh, um, really? There was a tornado? That Oh yeah, we had that. We had one of the biggest ones at that time. That went down Dodge. Oh um, wow! Out, out by we where we lived on eighty um, fourth and Dodge, out by um, by the, the Wentworth Apartments. Yeah, most of the all, all of us Royals stayed out the Wentworth Apartments. Huh. Um, but the team was actually we were actually on the road in in uh, Indianapolis when it hit. 
So um, all the wives and everybody back home had to deal with it. But it was a major destruction, yeah. Um, but my 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 thoughts of it, I, I liked uh, I liked Omaha. It was a it was a nice town. Um, you know, it was a it was a really um, easy um, access to the park to Rosenblatt. Rosenblatt itself was a was a wonderful park. I think we were I think we were the class of uh, of the parks easily of the AAA league. Um, you know, of course, until Denver came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, it was a it was a great park. Hard to hit in with that wind. Um, sometimes you get that wind. It was really hard. I'm speaking as a power hitter. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I love Rosenblatt. Yeah. I wanted to ask. Okay. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say a couple of guys that you played with there that you probably haven't thought about in 20 years. These are just completely random guys that I saw on on the roster. But one of the guys you played with a couple of years that we lost, obviously way too young as well, was from Casey, Missouri. Do you remember Steve uh, Mingori at all? Absolutely. Mingo. Yeah. Yeah. Little left handed pitcher. Yeah, he was there, and then another guy uh, that uh, had a similar, you know, played a little bit in the big leagues like you did as well. That you an outfielder that you played with a couple of years. You remember Keith Marshall at all? Absolutely, Keith Marshall. I was a uh, highway patrolman in New Jersey after he retired. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, yep. I, need, I need to find him for an interview. That he'd be good. Yeah, Keith was a great guy. Keith was one of our. He was one of the top prospects. Um, I can't remember what number he was drafted, but he was one of our top ones coming out. Uh, actually, I think they made a trade for him too. If I, I'm not mistaken, I'm not. Anyway, Keith was. Uh, I can remember Keith was uh, tall, lean outfielder. He could go get it. He could run. Um, line drive hitter, uh, great arm. And I can remember in Omaha one time he was uh, toward the end of the year. He was messing around. He was going to come in and pitch. And he was throwing in the bullpen, and he broke his elbow, Ugh. or fractured, or something like that. So, yeah. Anybody else? <laughs> yeah, those are the those are the main two. That's interesting. I'm by the way, I'm impressed with your memory. You're rattling off like where you lived in 1975, like, like the address. I'm oh, yeah. impressed. Yeah, but like I said, I can't remember a lot of other. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the most important thing. Uh, yeah. So 1976, then, uh, at the end of that year, is December 7th of 1976, you left the Royals organization when you got traded to Montreal for Rudy Kennard, who never made the big leagues. Rudy Kennard. Yep. Um, so when you got that call, where were you at when you got the news? Were you expecting it? And what were your emotions like that day? Actually, I was. I had been talking to John uh, Scherholz about uh, – a possible trade because I kind of felt like I was stuck and I wanted like a new, you know, something, something, uh, change the scenery, maybe help me out. And, um, I didn't expect to go to, to, uh, to Montreal, to Denver, but, uh, um, I was, uh, I was at home in Washington state and I probably was chopping wood, <laughs> getting ready for the one, <laughs> getting ready for the winter. <laughs> wow. Um, but that, yeah, that's when I got the call. Okay, and you spent uh, 77 at Triple A Denver where you had some legendary stats there. So 40 home runs, 126 RBIs. This is a minor league season, by the way. So 40, 126, a 1,044 OPS that year. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I don't mean to call out a GM here, but how the hell did you not get a call to the big leagues that year? I did. Oh, you did? Well, you know, at that time, Denver, you know, Denver was uh, – um, I don't know how to put it. Uh, you know, you know, like Omaha has a working agreement with 
with uh, with Kansas City. Correct. Uh, well, Denver had with Montreal, but Denver had the right to uh, Nick's call-ups. Oh, really? Because they were like, yeah, they they were in a, a, a certain teams did not very many, but Denver did, and so you know, uh, I guess there was some negotiation or whatever. But they wanted to call me up in the middle of the year. Uh, Perez was playing first; he wasn't hitting. Um, and uh, so, anyway, long story short, they did, they didn't. And toward the end of the year, they said that they were going to call me up, and they were going to call up. Uh, Gary, I can almost tell you, Gary Renicki, Landreth, myself, Bombo Rivera, yeah, um, and um, Stan Pappy, who was from Fresno. We actually had room together, but anyway, um, uh, I, I had run out of options, um, so I was like uh, basically a free agent. And so, when you're out of options, you can you can pass the waiver wire. Um, if you go through the waiver wire, anybody can pick you up. So if you're sent down or called up and you have no options, you're 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 basically a free agent. And I think it was twenty five thousand or fifty thousand somebody could pick you up. And so when Montreal called us all up, I got a call from Charlie Fox, and he um, the GM at the time, and he said, "I want you. We, we want to sign a split contract, a, a minor major league contract." And I said, "I'm not going to sign a split contract." And we were just getting ready for the playoffs. And we were playing Omaha in the playoffs, by the way. <laughs> and so I said, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. So he said, we'll call you back. So then they called me back, and it was Dick Williams and Charlie Fox on a conference call and basically started, uh, you know, being not being very nice, let's put it that way, um, a few expletives in there. And so I said, uh, well, you know what? Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to come up. You can give me a big league contract, and I'll come up, but that's it. So basically, I refused to go, and I didn't go. <laughs> wow! So that's what happened there. And do you have any regrets about that, or not really? Well, you know, you know, you, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and I look back and I go, you know, I could have, I, you know, if I would have done that, my life would have been totally different, probably. Um, you know, as a hitter, then I was, you know, red hot. I mean, I was seeing the ball big that year. I had Tony LaRusso come up to me and go, you know, you're doing you're doing two things different. I'll tell you about it at the end of the year. He never did, but he said, you know, keep doing that. You're going to hit in the big leagues, um, and that's what he told me. But uh, I never get he never did tell me. <laughs> wow. Um, he was managing that year. Uh, I can't remember what team, but um, in the in the association. But anyway, um, yeah, I. Um, I, I have regrets some way, you know, because I, I know it would have been different. But I look at it like if I would have, if I'd have did that, I would I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have had what I have now, which you know, I'm, my life's fulfilled. And I plus I had other calling on my life. I really feel, and uh, so um, yeah, I, I think I, I I really don't put. I, I don't think I have any regrets. I really don't. Good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So 78 was a, a weird year. Now, baseball reference doesn't even have all the moves. So I'm, this is what I know. So you got purchased by the White Sox from Montreal at the beginning of spring training, then sent back to Montreal April 14th. And then somehow they say you also played between Denver and Hawaii for the Padres. So explain how this year happened. <laughs> I'm confused here. Okay. Well, the most confusing year I ever had. Yeah. Um, 
so I was, um, I had the year I had, and, and so because I refused to go up, they were mad at me, and they, I was now a free, kind of like a free agent, and the White Sox did a conditional uh, $50,000 pick-me-up, bring me to spring training, and, um, uh, you know, if you make the team, you make the team. If not, you you uh, you revert back to Den- you re- back to the Montreal organization. So Montreal really had nothing to lose, and so I did that, and I went to the White Sox uh, spring training. Did very well. I uh, worked with Larry Doby Johnson a lot. Um, I talked to Bill Beck. Actually, got Bill Beck's hotel room because I got called there so late. Um, the trade. I mean the the uh, transit transaction happened so late it was like uh they were already spring training was already going on and so when i got to sarasota there was no hotel rooms and bill beck gave my his hotel room to my wife myself and my uh, four-month-old daughter and so i had a good good uh good thing with the white Sox, good camp and there was one guy to go and bob lemon came up again he was managing that one year and uh, we were heading north the next day, and he called me in, and he says, man, you should be, he, this is exact words, he says, you should be on this team. He says, you should be on this team, and you should be starting DH, because Lamar Johnson was first base. And, and uh, he says, but they're, they're letting you go. So I went back to Denver and went to spring training for about the last three or four days. We broke north, went to Denver, um, had a con- big huge chip on my shoulder which i shouldn't have but i did and uh things weren't going very well and i talked to jim marshall who was managing then and uh anyway the royals ended up trading me to uh san diego and triple a was in hawaii so i went there and while i was there i was injured again and it was a leg injury and just wasn't real happy and career was kind of just fluttering and my uh, agent says, "Hey, the Japanese want want uh, want to talk to you about coming over to Japan." Hmm. And so, at that point, a lot of things were going on in my life, other than baseball, you know. And uh, um, I became a Christian in '76, and I really was brand new. I really didn't know where I was going, and I really felt like uh, God was leading me over to um, Japan. And to play ball and to be more of a, you know, to minister a little bit to Japanese people, whatever I could do. Not sure, not really, but I really felt the call. And there's a lot of things that happened that it would take too long to get into. But um, so I went over there and I made some, you know, I made some good money. I met some missionaries and I helped support them. And so a lot of good things happened over the two years over there. Yeah, how about so, was was how was the food over there and the culture at first? Was that tough to even know what to order? Because I've got the palate of a nine year old, so I'd be scared to death of everything <laughs> to eat over there. You would have made it, Dave. You would have been in trouble. <laughs> yeah, because I don't do I don't do sushi or anything either. So you, you'd have been in trouble. They got a, they got a, you know I crack up. I tell my wife I crack up at these places now because they're all over the place here in the states. The sushi bars. Yeah, the sushi bars are big. Yeah. Well, you you haven't been to a sushi bar until you want go to a sushi bar in Japan. Right. Because I mean it's piece it's a piece of fish. It doesn't have all this coating on it. It's just a piece of fish that's raw on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh they actually had me they had they have eight million I mean it's like crazy sports magazines over there for baseball. They are baseball fanatics. And um 
they have a, they had, uh, my first year over there, I was on the cover of one of them, and it had me with chopsticks with this big piece of raw fish. <laughs> I mean, about a four-inch piece of raw fish. <laughs> and I had it up to my mouth, and I'm looking up at the camera, and uh, they wanted me to try it, so I tried a little bit of it, and that was it. <laughs> so I don't, I don't eat that. I don't eat sushi here. I just, you know. <laughs> I'm with you on that. But, but anyway, it's a different culture over there, different, you know, everywhere from the game and everything. So Yeah. Okay, so I was reading that uh, you, you played with the Hawks over there. Um, what Nankai was Hawks. Nankai, there you go. Um, and you got, I, I guess most American guys do get a nickname, but it's not similar to their name from how I get it. But yours was Otenjo, which meant king above heaven. Is that correct for your name, nickname? King, king in the high heavens, yep. Yeah, okay. So that was an and honor. That, and right? the, well, the, the the reason they weren't going for that name, they were going for what they do is when you come over, like Carlos May was my teammate, yeah. and when we when we had our names up on the boards, uh, Katakani is the written, it's, it's the written Japanese. It's like you see, it's almost like scribbling, like a chicken scribbling. Mm-hmm. And then when you see the characters that are more bold, the characters are actually Chinese characters the Japanese use, and so those are all the Japanese players with those. So when you see an American or a gaijin, it's always written out, kind of like, you know, dashes and dots and whatever. And so people up north in Japan, for the first half year I was there, thought I was a Japanese player because I had three characters. <laughs> and the three characters, they got the characters as close as they could to pronouncing my last name. And they, it was pronounced O, like, you know, Sadahara O? Mm-hmm. His last name was the first part of mine, O. It was the same character. So mine was O, Ten, Joe. So there was three characters, O, Ten, Joe. And those three characters, it meant king in the high heavens. That's amazing. So it was just, yeah, it was just, the whole thing was amazing, yeah. And Mr. Baseball, did you like that movie? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it was, I, I tell everybody, that was exactly the way it was. And, um, you know, all the exercises, the, everything. Um, those, you know, everything was right on except one thing. You're never going to date the manager's daughter. <laughs> yeah. You can take that to the bank. <laughs> I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody in the world had as much chest hair as he had either in that movie. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> I think that's the other difference. So 1980, yeah. I, I don't know if you played that whole year, if you got hurt or what, but you know, I think you only had like 150 at bats or something, but 1980 was your last year over there, 29 years old. You know, what made you know it was time to walk away from baseball at that point? Um, that's uh, a good question. 19, uh, 1980, I was halfway through the year. Um, my wife had uh, severed her Achilles tendon uh, over there, so they casted it up. Instead of having surgery there, they flew her back. So my daughter now was about a year and a half, and they so they, they flew back to the States, and I was there by myself, and it just wasn't going well, and I it was injured, and they had... Uh, Long story. I don't want to get into all the details of what they do over there, but they're they're basically they want you to help them win, but they don't want you to do better than their other their players. Mm-hmm. So it's catch twenty two, and then they want you to do it the Japanese way. For instance, my first year, I was out in the outfield again, 
And because Americans usually don't play, a few of them do, but mostly don't play on the infield and don't pitch or catch. So they, most of the Americans are outfielders. And um, so uh, I was in right field, and at one time, I think it was about halfway through the first year, I was leading the league in double plays from right from right field, in the outfield. Um, and we were at home, and there was a fly ball to right. There was a guy on third with one out. We had a one-run lead, and I threw it all the way in the air. It was medium, shallow, right field. Threw the guy out at the plate. We won the game. I got called up to the president's office with my two interpreters, the manager, the owner, the general manager, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be good. And they were they were telling me that I need to hit the cutoff, man. That's what the whole meeting was about. Oh my god! So it gives you it gives you an idea of what Japanese baseball is right there. And you know, Mister Baseball kind of shows you too. And but they, you know, they want you to do it their way. And so I got kind of disenchanted, you know. And and my my wife was gone, my daughter was gone, and I got to a point where in my life, in my own life, and in my heart and my spirit, that I just said to myself, it's time to walk away. I, I just don't want to do it anymore. And so <clears throat> Japanese don't show their emotions. And when I told my interpreter, he was the older one. I had two of them. And the older one, he started crying. Hmm. And so, you know, he says, he goes, it's the right decision for you. And they would never say that to an American ball player. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was the right time. That was a confirmation. And when I got back to the States, I had some offers for um, spring training for the next year for some teams, but, um, that was time to get out. And when I, when I got out, I came back and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I ended up being in the full-time ministry, uh, ordained pastor for nine years. Oh, I didn't know that. I was going to ask you. So yeah, tell, t- take us through your life since 81 then. So you did that. So I went back and, um, I got back in, um, 80, I think it was 1980 when I, and then 81 is when my second child was born. And the day she was born, I accepted a position. I was uh, I was doing uh, I was working for a Christian um, advertising company, um, sending uh, going into Canada because I was real close to the Canadian border, uh, about two miles, and I was taking mail and and paraphernalia, Christian paraphernalia, into Canada for radio shows, tapes, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, programs. And um, there was a new church starting in Linden, Washington, which is exactly two and a half miles from the Canadian border. And I was sitting at my desk in this, I had this, uh, my own room and a desk and, and this uh, guy came in, I never met him before. And, um, I know it's going to sound kind of weird to a lot of people out there, but I, he said, uh, he said, God told me to come talk to you about working with the youth, you know, and I've always loved working with youth, you know, in baseball particularly, but he said, uh, God laid on my heart that I need a youth pastor at this new church I'm starting. And he wanted me to to ask you, talk to you. So I had a lot of friends and, you know, I talked to them and, and, uh, accepted the position. So I make a long story short, the day my second daughter was, was born in 81, I accepted the position at word of life church in, uh, London, Washington. and was a youth pastor for two years and associate for another seven. Very cool. Your your daughter's like the exact same age as me. I'm 35. So you've got what, 37 and 33 or something like that? My daughter's, my one's going to be 39, and my other daughter is 35. Wow. Exact same age. That's funny. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So have you ever been back to Kansas City since you left? You know, I, I have not. 
I have not been back to Kansas City. We're not cha- even flown through. We got to change that weird. one of these. You got to come back out for a game. I know it. I know it. That'd be kind of <laughs> nice to see that fountain again. And yeah, you know, yeah. Well, it's a great park. Yeah, it is. It is a great park. Okay, so last uh, last three or four questions here, and thanks for all your time. Um, if you had to pick one favorite season of your entire pro career, if you, if you could go back and relive one season, minors or majors or Japan, what would it be? Uh, to relive it just for the um, for how well I did, or yeah, just your, your favorite time of your life, your favorite year of your life, I guess in baseball. Okay, I'm going to have to say that my my favorite. I'm going to have to say it was the um, the Denver was a great year. I mean, I was it was fantastic. But I'm going to have to say the Jacksonville '72 half a year there. And then getting called up to Omaha for half a year there, and then getting and getting taken to winter winter ball right off of that, and yeah. then getting told I was going to be in the big leagues the next year. It was a whirlwind when I knew I was on the cut, on the cutting block just a year and a half before. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to say that that was just because of my well, the success was one thing, but it's just be, just just of the um, the excitement of. Of all of a sudden, I knew that you know I'd arrived as a, as a as a ball player as a as a professional ball player. Okay. And, and then that... I I knew I knew I could hit. I knew I could hit, and I didn't I I didn't I knew I could hit major league pitching. I had no no, you know it was it was no different. It was easier actually when I was up there than hitting in double A. So um, I guess I'd have to say that was the most the most uh, exciting time because of the. All the moves in the in the uh, rapid pr- procession and yeah, and knowing that I was where I was heading. So now you know, try yeah. don't, don't like to be negative, but if you had to pick the toughest year of your career, I'm guessing it was one of the ones in Omaha, maybe or Japan, maybe or which what, what was the toughest for you? No, Japan, Japan wasn't at all because I knew I was toward the end and, and I was hitting well over there. I just I had some injuries, but then I had to deal with you know, like I'll give you an example real quick of Japan. Uh, but it was like uh, I had hit six home runs in six straight games, and the record was seven for over there. So in the seventh game, I got walked four times by the opposing team. Yeah, so it, that's that's just the way. But uh, you know, um, the toughest year was definitely my toughest year was um, was I'm gonna have to say after after the Denver success, I really thought that I was gonna be. You know, off in the big leagues, they had picked me for rookie of the year in sport magazines for the following year after the year in Denver. They had picked the top five pro- uh, prospects playing the next year, and they were picking me to win National League rookie of the year. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, I'd say that was my toughest my toughest uh, swing there because I went from from a real high to, you know, a real low. Yeah. Man. So, Man. Yeah. Okay, uh, last two questions. What are you most proud of about your life in baseball? You know, you know what, what just makes you proud when you look back at your career path in, in the in the game. The, mo- the most, uh, I think that um, I gave it everything I had. I always gave it everything I had. I I don't have to, you know, ever ever think that I didn't. I mean, I I tried my very best, and uh, and um, I guess that's it. Okay, and then uh, last thing is, what would you like to say to, to Royals fans listening right now? 
Um, I like to say that um, I was glad to see them win the World Series. I think the franchise is one of the, most, the classiest franchises that that's ever been. I can remember back when I first started, you know, back uh, before nowadays they got the long pants down to the shoes and the long hair and the beards. But back then there was, um, you know, the Royals had had uh, certain things that you had to do. You had to wear your stirrup socks a certain way. You had to wear your uniform a certain way, and you had to, you know, present yourself as Kansas City Royal. And I think they kept that up throughout the years. And I think it's just a classy organization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I know that I speak uh, for for many longtime Royals fans, and my dad used to watch you play, and I, you know, I've read about you, so I feel like I watched you play from reading and having the baseball cards and and all that. You know, it was a it was a pleasure to speak with you and uh, and hear stories, and you know, especially nice for me to hear you know how you've lived your life without regret and helped others, and you know, even though I'm sure there's a lot of what ifs, and you know, in some ways, but you know, you you did make it to the show, and that's pretty awesome, and it's pretty cool to hear about all these stories. Well, I appreciate you. I thank you. Yeah, definitely. Stay in touch. And uh, I've never made it back to Jacksonville since uh, since '09. But when I'm out there, lunch is on me. When I'm out there, one of these days, love to love to chat with you. That'd be great. And tell that gangly Gary March if you talk to him <laughs> that that I still don't I still don't think he could even carry my bats for me. But that's <laughs> that's another. <laughs> uh, uh, is he texting hey, you? I got a, yeah, by the I way, I got a sidelight. I got a sidelight for you, Dad. I got a sidelight story, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead small world okay so i work at this golf golf course great job great retirement job it's just fun right yeah, yeah. and it's off it's off hodges right after you go to the intercoastal that's where i used hodges to live Boulevard. I, used, I used to live at the cape house apartments right there yeah that's where it's at <laughs> so anyway the golf course is there and right down there on the shopping mall hodges and beach yeah is a place called bruce brucci's pizza yeah yeah and the owner is the Bat Boy I had in Jacksonville. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did you find – did he remember you right away or did you – how did you put in two, two oh, together? Oh, yeah, he remembered me. He, he found me somehow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Funny. My, Isn't that uh, hilarious? Is that, uh, is that uh, Mexican place still over at San Pablo and Beach, the really good one? Across from the old Walmart that's not a Walmart anymore? I forget what it's called. Uh, there is a San, Pab- San Pablo. And, oh, you're talking about um, – There's like five of them around it, Jacksonville. Not yeah, that one across, it's still there. I think it's not, no La Palera. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. La, it's still there. I used to go there, and I used to go to Al's Pizza over at uh, Jack's Beach. And, man, I love that. Al Pizza's big, still big. Yeah, and there was a really good Thai place over on Atlantic somewhere near the 9A. That's still there, too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Man, I loved it. I really did enjoy living down there. I was happy. I was really uh, watching that CNN coverage and sweating bullets for you guys, so I'm, I'm glad that everything – and I hope, that, I hope the Jags start winning one of these days and you don't lose that team either. I don't, I don't think they will, will they? They're pretty secure, aren't they? Well, I mean, uh, that Bortles, he's a good quarterback. Yeah. But they're, they're my second team. They're my second favorite team. Niner, Raiders? Niners? Uh, Seahawks. Seahawks. Oh, that's I heard. Right. I spent 26 years there after a ball, so oh, during right. ball. So okay, that's yeah, right. that's right. You, you were there back during the Dave Craig years and stuff, right? Back in those Steve Largent. I watched the first. I had season tickets the first year. <laughs> that's cool. That's in really existence. cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Well, yeah, we we'll definitely definitely stay in touch. You got my number, and uh, let's let's definitely stay in touch. And I look forward to meeting up with you one of these days. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care. God bless. God bless. Bye bye.